0: name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In our Gospel reading today, here on the 16th Sunday, after Trinity, we have the testimony from the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 7 of Christ our God raising the only Son of a widow from the dead. And each year and every year, thank God, we get to hand down. How the fathers saw this event and all that God showed them through the Holy Spirit and it is most profound for us. And I tell you, it's extraordinarily pertinent for the day in which we live. Let's remember the story that we just heard chanting. So our Lord Jesus Christ is approaching a town called Dan. It says, with him were both many disciples, but it also said there was also a multitude following him. My friends, this was a horde of people. At this point in time in our Lord's ministry, are following Him, journeying with Him from town to town, is a huge group of people, and they approach this gate of name. And as they approach this gate, there is another procession happening out of the town, coming towards this gate, and it's the procession of a dead widow's son being led in the front. And we're told also that there was a multitude in this crowd. One of the things the church wants us to really recognize is that we have here pictured for us in words and what really happened: two processions that are meeting with one another at the gate of a town. Two processions that somewhat collide with one another for an encounter. And as they're all now gathered together, all of them having encountered one another, we're told that our Lord Jesus Christ notices the widow. And we're told that our Lord was filled. With compassion for this blessed woman. What does that mean? Our Lord always saw into the soul. And the condition of everyone that he created. And what is he doing? He's having compassion. Which means he is aching. Physically. As well as emotionally. Over the condition of this poor woman. And what does he know she's suffering? That he is now suffering with her in? A mother lost a son. And not only did a mother lost a son. This mother lost her only son. So he also knows that because this was her only son, not only is she in great pain over the loss of her son, but she has fears and anxieties and worries about this life because there is no more family to take care of this blessed widow. <clears throat> and we're told that out of his compassion, he reaches his hand and he touches the bier the open coffin of the son of this widow. And we're told that when he does, the procession stopped. Can you imagine the quiet? The wondering. Maybe a little bit of undercurrent of murmuring. What is this man doing? Because some had never encountered Jesus Christ. And he touches the beard. And then commanding life from death. He spoke to the dead son saying. Young man. I say to you arise. And the young man sat up and he began to speak. And then we have this beautiful picture. Where the gospel writer tells us. That Jesus then presents the one he resurrected back to his mother. And it's this picture as a I can't imagine a more precious and wonderful gift that he gives her, as he had breathed life into her lifeless son again. And the people were filled with great fear, we're told, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has come among us, and God has certainly visited. Again, the early church fathers want us to see the great revelation of what happened here. They call our attention to the fact that what we're seeing here is a collision of life and death. A collision between life and death where death never had a chance to win. St. Cyril of Alexandria said it this way. The dead man was buried. Christ, the life and resurrection, meets him there. He is the destroyer of death. And, corruption. and he commands the woman to weep not, and immediately her cause of weeping was done away. The procession of life today meets with the procession of death, and death cannot survive being in the presence of the one who is the resurrection and the life. And I tell you that while we see our Lord Jesus Christ and the dead widow's son be raised from the dead, At the center of this scene, it is not the entire scene. There is more to this that we need to take a look at because it has absolutely to do with who we are and one of God's great purposes in and through his holy church. Because we see not only Jesus Christ and the son and the widow, but we also see all of the multitudes of the two processions. We have two very different processions coming towards one another. And each procession has an extraordinarily different countenance, an extraordinarily different nature, an extraordinarily different experience in life as they come together. So let's look at both processions to see what we can see. First, we have the procession following death, the procession of death. While Christ and the multitude following him approached the city, this procession was heading out to bury the young man. And death overshadowed this multitude. And the experience of death overshadowed this multitude. Death was truly leading this procession. And those who followed the atmosphere and the impact of death, what were their characteristics? What was their disposition? My friends, they would have been a downtrodden people. They would have been a people under the oppression of sadness and loss. A people mourning, a people weeping, a people wailing and hurting. And some of them may have anxiousness in their hearts over these things. And anxiousness over this poor widow. The widow certainly had anxiousness over the future of her existence. And that is the characteristics of this procession. But what about the other one? What about the procession of Christ our God, the life of the resurrection? What were their characteristics? Before we look at them, let's remember what would have led to what would have been the disposition of his people that followed him. These people followed him for one reason and one reason only. Because Christ our God had come to them And they experienced God and his kingdom in and through Jesus Christ. You tell me, why else would they have abandoned their homes and followed him from town to town without wanting to go back? Because they experienced life and life to the full in this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And think of all that they had witnessed, even if they'd only been with him for a day or two or a year. What had those people, that multitude that was following Jesus, what all had they experienced, seen, and heard? My friends, they would have heard the one who is the Word of God speak words of life that illumined and ignited their soul on a daily basis.
1: They would have
0: witnessed the miraculous healing through Jesus Christ of people who were so ill and sick of body, mind, and spirit daily. They would have seen him. Command and release the demonic oppressors to alleviate the suffering of those who are oppressed by those very demons. And if they have been with him long enough, they may have seen precisely what they were going to witness again on this day. They may have witnessed Christ our God command the soul of one beloved departed to re-enter the lifeless body and come to life again. If the people who were under the oppression of death, their countenance... Their existence was one of mourning and weeping and anguish and anxiousness and hopelessness. What do you think the disposition of the procession of Christ, the procession of those who had been experiencing life was? Well, we can only guess, but we can take some decent guesses. These people would have been a people of incomprehensible joy. These people would have been a people who had a sense of wonder and amazement kindled in them again for what they were seeing on a daily basis. They would have been a people that would continuously hunger for more and more of what they'd been experienced and received because it was so good. So they remained with them. They would have been a people living in great anticipation at the end of the day of what they might experience tomorrow. Because life was with them. Are you starting to see the opposite of the characteristics of the two processions? that at the gate of the city of Name encountered one another and collide. And I would remind us that we dare not separate the countenance and the disposition of the procession from the leader of the procession. We cannot separate them. Christ and those who followed him, they journeyed as one together. And because of this, the characteristics of the giver of life were shared with each and every one of them And those who lived apart from him, the yet to be enlightened by him, the result of the absence of his presence and the absence of fellowship with him would have been natural. They would have been downtrodden. They would have been dysfunctional, disorderly. They would have been chaotic in misery and in hopelessness. And yet what happens when the people who are with the life and the resurrection show up and encounter and collide with the people who are still under death and darkness. For those who would have their eyes open, death is thrown down and life returns to them, and their disposition becomes that of the ones who follow Christ. For remember, all of those who were following him before they met with him were under the same oppression and freedom. My friends, when we look at these two colliding processions, I tell you that what our Lord has shown me and encouraged me in, in this last week of looking at this over and over very prayerfully, is that this is our existence right now. And I could say this has been our existence since the incarnation, when the kingdom of God invaded this world of darkness through Christ our God and began to spread. That's true. But right now, if you take a look at the world that we live in and you look at the life of those who are outside of the ark of salvation, look at their disposition. Look at what's going on. Look at the chaos. Look at the despair. Look at the rage. Look at the violence. Look at the absolute absence of any God-like virtues. And we don't say this as a put-down to them, but a calling out to them that there is life to be had. But this is where they're existing right now, in the chaos of their own souls and in darkness. My friends, I tell you this. We need to see this in two ways. We need to see this as if the procession outside of the ark of salvation is approaching the gate to the city of God. And the people of God who are journeying with our Lord Jesus Christ must move to the gate of that same city so that there may be an encounter of light with darkness. Those people, and all through the new covenant, even to today, from Pentecost on, for those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, they have been filled with the light and the life of our Lord. Jesus Christ and those who have followed him every day just like this multitude followed him from town to town those who abandoned their lives to follow the one who is life everywhere the church was life overcame death and the darkness was invaded and reeled back and I say that there is a key in what I just said in case you missed it where those in christ have followed christ have made themselves true disciples of our lord jesus christ only then because god never robs us of our will his desire is to glorify himself and show forth his kingdom through every blessed one of us and through his church but his church must be disciples for that to happen which means they must follow him every day of their life They must follow Him in a way that's different than so many do today. To come to church, which is the best thing we can do. To worship God, which is our bounden duty for all that He has done. Is precious and wonderful and right, but should be the hub of everything else in our lives. Because if we come here and we offer ourselves to God, and He offers Himself to us. And then we step into the world on Monday as if we belong to the darkness. And we all Like that, we are neutralizing the expression of the kingdom of God in and through us. But if we will walk with Him daily, following Him, abandoning the things He tells us to abandon in our life, that are nothing but distractions to our own experience of the blessed fullness of life that He offers. If we will walk in that way and abandon our lives to this Jesus Christ truly becoming disciples, then we will meet the darkness at the gate of Nain. And we will see people come into the blessed ark of salvation. Remember what happened to the people in Nain when life overcame death. They glorified God. Their disposition changed. They glorified God and they declared with their voices that God has certainly come among us. This must be. Happen in and through the church. It is His divine will, and He's given us every bit of grace to accomplish this. And I'll tell you something I've prayerfully considered sharing for quite a while to encourage you in the Holy Spirit to let your lives be given over on a daily basis to our Lord Jesus Christ. It's this. In the Gospel of St. Luke in chapter 21, Jesus teaches his followers to be mindful of the signs that will point to the day he will return on that final day. We are to be mindful of the signs. But then Jesus gives them signs. He says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places. And famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights. And great signs from heaven. I don't know about you. But if you have been paying attention. For the last number of years. My friends. I cannot cannot understand. The amount of hurricanes. And tempests. Hurricanes and tempests. And tsunamis. And all of these destructions. Countless earthquakes. More and more. Going on all the time. You see them in the news. Absolute unrest both between nations but also within nations. And I want to be very clear about something. When Jesus told his disciples and even the disciples in the epistles and the writings would tell us to look for the signs to remember what Jesus said. Jesus didn't tell them to watch for the signs so that you'll know the actual day he's returning. That's ludicrous. We see so many theologies out there looking for the signs and saying he's going to come back on October 23rd, right? You've seen this mess. The Lord didn't tell his people to follow the signs so they know the exact day. He told them to look for the signs that he would give in this earth and in our lives. Look for the signs because they will simply remind you that I am coming back. And you do not know when. And therefore from the parable of the ten virgins that our Lord gave, you my friends, blessed children, bride of Christ and myself, we are to live a life of making sure every moment of every day that we have oil in our land. And how do we do that? By being a blessed disciple every day of our existence. By living the blessed life of Holy Spirit-led repentance and then giving over to God what he brings to the surface for healing. Why? Because then you become like the people of the towns and villages that encountered the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. Encountered his mercy and his salvation. And then you want to abandon yourself more and more to follow him and experience that mercy and experience that kingdom on a daily life. But if we don't give ourselves over to him, we do not allow that experience. If we don't allow that experience, we are not transformed. Look at the world around us and realize, stop, just like we talked about on Ash Wednesday with our mortality. Stop counting on tomorrows and press into the life and the resurrection today. One day at a time. And I promise you this, if God's people, if all of us will do that, then we will encounter the gate of name, those who are in the despair of darkness and death. And they will encounter the risen Jesus Christ, and we will see a great catch of the fish of souls of men, and we'll see them glorify God, saying God has come to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.